A guten Erev Shabbos to our friends and members at the Westmount Shul. We've had a very exciting week uh, and last uh, since the Israeli elections and the American elections. And I'm sure there's lots that people will talk about. I still need to ruminate a little more on what's happening to give some kind of a coherent understanding of the message that is happening. Um, so in light of that, I will uh, like to share with you an idea that perhaps can give us a beginning of a framework of understanding things. And let's start with a little, uh, a little uh, story. A man was returning from the world's first wedding on Pluto. I guess Elon Musk has really come up with some great ideas. And he can imagine having a wedding on Pluto. And he comes back and he seems disappointed. And his friend says, what's wrong? Was the, ba- was the band no good? He said, the band was great. How about the food? Was the food lousy? He said, no, out of this world. No. So what was the problem, asked his friend. Just tell you, there was no atmosphere there. Okay, so let's talk about atmosphere. And let's start with the another understanding of the famous story as we start Parsha's Vayera. Avram is sitting down during a hot day at the entrance of his tent, recovering from the circumcision he ran he just had. He sees three men standing nearby. He runs towards them and insists that they come and relax at his tent. And Avram was very specific. He said, let some water be brought and wash your feet and recline beneath the tree. I will fetch a morsel of bread so you may sustain yourself. And the three men consent and accept Avram's invitation. And then the Torah gives a detailed account of what transpired during the following moments. It says that Avram rushed to the tent of Sarah, his wife, and said, hurry, get three measures of the finest flour needed to make rolls. Then Avram runs to the cattle, took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who rushed to prepare it. He took cottage cheese and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed them before them. He stood over them as they ate under the tree. And they asked, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, behold, she's in the tent. And one of the angels says, I will return to you this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And as the narrative continues, it's very clear that these three visitors were not simple men, but rather they were had special energies or they were malachim angels manifested in the bodies of a human being. And these angels were sent to carry out three monumental tasks described in the continuation of the story. The first one, the malach Michael, was to inform Avram and Sarah that they would have a child. The malach Gavriel was there to overturn the evil city of Sodom. And finally, the third one, Raphael was there to heal Avram from his uh, bris and to save Lot when Sodom is destroyed. So there are at least three questions can be asked over here. How many angels really needed to go to Avram? 
we know that an angel cannot form two tasks. So I understand why the Malach Michal came to Avram, because he had to tell Avram and Sarah they're going to have a child. Makes a lot of sense. I understand the Malach Rafal, even though he has to save Lot, but he also has to heal Avram. So that's the similar task. It's, it's healing and saving afterwards. That makes sense. But why do I need the Malach Gavriel here? Malach Gavriel came to destroy stone. So why couldn't the Malach Gavriel meet the Malach Raphael at stone? They know the way. What was the need to have that third angel there? Number one. Number two, why does the Torah find it so necessary to tell us the exact words and tasks of Avram upon greeting the guests, including the exact menu of what he served them? If the Torah wanted to teach us about his extraordinary hospitality, wouldn't it have been enough to say that Avram took care of all their needs? Why such copious detail? And finally, the question that the men asked Avram, where is Sawyer wife? doesn't seem to make sense because because after Avram told them where she was they don't even proceed to talk to her and they continue talking to Avram so why did they ask this question there's a number of answers to all these questions I'd like to share with you a beautiful insight from the Chidushe Harim the Ger Rebbe to Parshas Vayera and he says it in the name of Rabbi Yechiel Michal of Zlochev now according to Jewish tradition there exists in each generation a tzaddik, a moral giant who serves as the spiritual foundation of the world and as we would say, a bridge between heaven and earth. This is a human being who carries the burden of history on his shoulders and always has his finger on the pulse of the generation. And while other people plan their vacations and retirement, this person cannot sleep at night as long as there's one soul in God's universe that's hurting. And in these times, Avram served as the tzaddik. He, so to speak, was the Rebbe, the spiritual master of the world. And when three angels were dispatched to pay a visit to planet Earth and to do various jobs, so they were determined to visit this extraordinary human being. They longed to be touched by his whole soul and to be inspired by his spirituality and to be ignited by his passion. When they came down, they were expecting to see majesty at its peak and holiness at its peak. It must be the greatest, greatest shul in the world with davening that's amazing. And when the three malachim approached Avram's tent, Instead of seeing a soul burning with a sacred flame steeped in, in intense meditation with a rapture of ecstasy with bonding to Hashem, they were expecting to see Neshama, Mamish, on fire with Hashem in, in, in his spiders. And they were anticipating an encounter with a human being who's having a transcendental moment of paradise. But what did they actually see? They saw a fast food restaurant. Let some water be bought and wash your feet and recline beneath the tree. The great Rebbe 
the Rebbe Rav Avram declared. I will fetch a morsel of bread so you may sustain yourself, were the words that came out of God's ambassador to planet Earth. Avram rushes to the tent of Sarah's wife and says, hurry, get the finest flour needed to make rolls. Avram runs to the cattle, took a tender calf, the best menu possible, and asks his son to prepare it. He gets cottage cheese and milk. And the calf is prepared. He stood over them and they ate from the tree. Whoa. A man of infinite ecstasy. <laughs> not, not a drop. A man bonding with heaven. You can't see that. Nothing. What is he? He's a good chef who knows how to run a smooth kitchen. We thought they say this and we thought we're coming to see a rabbi. Instead, we end up at a butcher, at a, at a caterer. Almost sounds like what happens when you come to shul every Shabbos. The rabbi you expect to be found davening and giving drushes and things like that. But since when does the rabbi become a caterer and make sure that there's always an amazing luncheon for everybody and everything you could ever thought of the rabbi has thought about what you would be able to have and to provide. So it could very well be, of course, I'm not comparing the rabbi at all to Avon Mavino. What kind of rabbi is this? He, he should have been in the catering business. Maybe we're in the wrong location. Well, so these angels, they really don't know what's going on. Then a thought came to their mind. Perhaps... When they heard in heaven that Avram was a great tzaddik of the generation, maybe he wasn't referring, they weren't referring to him, but maybe to his counterpart. Maybe it's Sarah. Maybe she's the real Rebbe. The Rebbe's in the generation, and Avram was the caterer. So the narrative continues. They ask, where is Sarah your wife? Why are they asking that? Perhaps we can get a glimpse of your wife and we'll finally encounter the presence of authentic holiness. And he said, Hine, behold. What's this behold? Usually behold means like surprise, shock. Behold, she's in the tent. The answer is for them, it's behold, she's in the tent. They were expecting, oh, she's leading a, a great service of prayer now. But what I was telling the angels, as if they had not yet gotten the message, they say, you know, seeing sorrow won't do the job you're looking for either. For she's even more concealed than I. She's concealed in the tent. And her true identity is not easily appreciated. You're not going to see what you're looking for with either one of us. So you see, they never really wanted to speak to Sora necessarily. Or maybe they did, but Arvind says there's no need to speak to her. At that moment, for the first time, the Malachim realized how deeply they had erred. In their longing to encounter holiness, they missed the ultimate point that the authentic holiness of a human being consists of a person's daily acts of love, selflessness, graciousness performed amid the stress and lowliness of a physical existence. 
The angels fail to recognize that the genuine experience of serving Hashem means not to soar to the heavens searching for angels, but to be there for every human being in a very physical and pragmatic ways. Hurry! Three measures of the finest flour needed to make rolls. These are the very words where you can find the most profound expression of human holiness. Cottage cheese, milk, a calf he prepared. He placed before them. He took over them, stood over them as, as they ate under the tree. The Torah is telling us in this simple mundane behavior, one comes to contact with the deepest spirituality that the human has. And what is that? Discovering the light of Hashem within your interactions and creating a place of heaven within this very mundane world. That was the lesson that the angels had. Now, when the angels see this, one of them says, I will return to you this time next year and your wife, sir, will have a son. This wasn't only a communication of God's earlier promise to Avram as Michal was meant to do. It was also the response of a Malach who's in awe of the revolution that Avram introduced into the world in which a human being in his ordinary daily behavior can build a dira betachtonim, a domicile for God down here. This was a revolution until now we thought, well, you want to be a tzaddik, just hide from everybody. But the angels saw that Avram's revolution, so amazing, it has to have a future. It can't just die with this man. It has to be in the form of a family, ultimately a people who will be charged with the mission to teach the world how to generate this unbelievable connection between heaven and earth. The angels never forgot this visit. Avram gave them not only a sobering lesson about what real life is like, but also a lesson of what authentic spirituality is about. And Avram's message to them is that true spirituality does not lie in man's attempt to escape the trapping of the world, but rather in his commitment to draw down light and beauty into the darkness of life. And it's only here, not in Pluto, where you can create the real atmosphere. With this, we can explain another idea. If you look at the language of the text in the Chumash, in the beginning of the narrative, when it talks about the angels, it says, shlosha anoshim, and behold, there were three men, nitzavim alav, literally meaning, standing over Avram, when they came. Later, when the guests were serving by Avram, it says, v'hu omeid alehem, meaning Avram stood over them. Notes the Degel Machana Ephraim, the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. Why does it change? First, the angels are standing over him, then Avram's standing over them. The answer is the angels clearly thought that they were greater than Avram and they stood over him. But now that they saw this great act of Achnosas Orchem, which rose way beyond what angels could do, 
He was now standing over and above them. Because through simple human kindness practice on planet Earth is where a human being reaches far beyond the most spiritual angels. That's the message of this week's Parsha. Now, obviously, we're not saying that Avram never davened. Of course, he davened. Of course, he learned Torah. He did a lot of spiritual things. He had time for himself. But he knew the bottom line is the greatest holiness comes when, quote-unquote, you get your hands dirty with the physical world, but bring God into it. That is the greatest thing that one can do. And that's something that's great for Avram and brings bracha that you'll have children afterwards that will be like this. So I'd like to share with you two stories that really highlight this idea. One you probably heard of in one fashion of another. It was written as a, as a, 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 a fiction, so to speak, historical fiction, by one of the Yiddishist writers. And it's about the Rebbe of Nemerov who every Friday morning, early at Slichas time, it's like he wasn't there. He wasn't anywhere. You couldn't find the Rebbe. He wasn't in Shul. He wasn't in the base Medrash. He wasn't in another minion, and he wasn't at home. His door was open. People went in. They didn't see him. They never saw the Rebbe during Slichas time in the month of Elul, where the Rebbe was on Friday morning. So, of course, there's always speculation. Where can the Rebbe be? Where can he be? If not in heaven, <laughs> it's likely a Rebbe should have no affairs uh, uh, in the world here on these holy days coming up to Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Now, regular Jews need a livelihood, peace, health, successful shidduchim. They want to be as good as they can be, and Sutton tries to, 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 to get them to Averos. So who can help us if not the Rebbe? So the Rebbe probably is up in Shemaim with the Malachim. So thought the people. Loyal Hasidim. But however, there was one Litvak, a Lithuanian, who laughed. Because we know that Lithuanian Jews, you know, um, they, they, uh, they love learning Torah and everything. But, uh, you know, they have a little, a little Hasidically challenged. And uh, says the Litvak, he says, you know, wait a minute. Even Moshe, our teacher, could not go to heaven. As the Gemara says, he was suspended 30 inches below it. He never could go to the heaven. So what do you mean your Rebbe is? But, you know, who's going to argue with the Litvak? The Hasim says, I don't know, I don't care. You know, that's the way it is. But the Litvak says, I got to get to the bottom of this. He's a skeptic. So to make a long story short, the Litvak when the Rebbe doesn't see, hides under the Rebbe's bed on Thursday night and waits to see what happens Friday morning. Let's see what he found out. Well before daybreak, the Rebbe's awake and he, the, the Litvak under the bed hears the Rebbe sighing and groaning for a whole hour. And you understand this sighing and groaning of the, of, of the Nemer of a Rebbe is because he has sorrow for all the Jewish people. His soul is just completely engulfed in grief. And the Litvak just sits still. The Rebbe is 
in the bed, but groaning and groaning, groaning. Eventually, the Rebbe gets up, gets dressed, washes his hands. As he's about to leave his house, it's well before Slicha's time. He goes over and he picks up a hatchet from under the bed. He puts on his belt, leaves the house. The Litvak is scared to death, but he's slowly following behind. And going through the streets early, early Friday morning, you could start hearing maybe some shuls are starting to open. Maybe there's an early minion, a little slichos, but the Rebbe just keeps in the street. Does not go to any minion. And he goes in the shadow of the houses and the Litvak is following him. And then behind the town stands a little forest. The Rebbe goes in a few paces. He stops next to a small tree. And to the amazement of the Litvak, the Rebbe takes the hatchet out and starts chopping the tree and chops enough wood to make a bundle, throws it over his shoulder, puts the hatchet away. And in one of the back streets, he stops besides a poor, broken down house, taps on the window. And a frightened voice says, Who's there? And the Rebbe just says, I. Who is I? So again, the Rebbe, in a little bit of a Russian speech, says, Vassal. Which Vassal and what do you want? Vassal, I have wood to sell. Very cheap for next to nothing. And without further ado, he goes in. And the Litvax watching all this. In the bed lies a sick Jewish woman huddled up in rags who bitterly says, wood to sell, and where am I, a poor widow, to get the money for, to buy it? So says Yossel, Vassal, I will give you a six groschen worth of credit. And I'm ever going to repay you? Foolish creature. See here, you are a poor and sick Jewish. And I'm willing to trust you with the little bundle of wood. I believe in time you will repay me. And you, you, you have such a great and mighty God. And you do not trust him? Not even to the amount of a miserable six groschen for a little bit of wood? And the lady says, and who is to light the stove? Do I look like getting up to doing it? And my son's away at work? Don't worry, I will also light the stove for you. And the Rebbe, the Rebbe, while he laid the wood in the stove, starts beginning his slichos. And then when the stove was alight, and the wood starts crackling, he says the second part of slichos. And finally, when the wood burns out, and now we have the coals, he says the third part of the slichos, he shuts the stove doors, and he leaves. Goes back. And of course, he was not in Minyan. Later on, when anybody told, you know, where is the Rebbe at Slicha's time? And they all would say, Mistama, he's up in Shemayim. So the Litvag would add quietly, if not higher. If not higher. Now, where did this Yiddishist get this idea from? Did the story ever happen? 
Probably not, but it's historical fiction. It would not be beyond the Rebbe. There's so many true stories of Tzaddikim doing this labor. But this Bamish is the perfect example of what we're learning in this week's Parsha. We don't have to go up to heaven. We can bring heaven down to us. That is what we can do. And I believe this is why Hashem brought, uh, the third angel wanted to come. Because the third angel had a very difficult job, and that was to destroy Sodom. And when you destroy Sodom, what would be the angel's understanding? The angels would say, listen, remember God, when you wanted to create the world, and what did we say to you? We say, don't do it, man will mess it up. Man is evil, he's terrible. And the angels are almost, they wouldn't have the chutzpah to say, God, we told you so, we told you so. Now Hashem has to send the Malach down. And the Malach's going straight, and he goes straight to Sodom. He says, see, I told you so. So Hashem says, you know what? I don't want you to make a decision on the whole world by looking at Sodom. Why don't you take a pit stop by another place with the other two angels and join them? And you'll see why I created the world. That even though, yes, the majority of the world is sick, is doing terrible things, but that's worth the whole world for this Avram Avino to bring heaven here. And that you will visit him. And when you come to him, you think you're better than man. And you're standing over him. Because who is pitiful man that we are going to destroy? But by the end of your visit, you, Avram is going to stand over you. And you have to realize that although the world is falling apart, but that's not the world I created. I created a world to make an Avram like this. And therefore, Avram stood over the angels. Let me share one more story that was related on the last day of Simcha's Torah this year in the Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim in Queens. There was a 12-year-old boy with a talus over his head. He comes to the bima between the fourth, during the fourth hakafa, and he sings that song that we're all aware of, his voice was strong on tune and the entire shul joined him joyously but some of the people watching and listening had tears rolling down their faces and the story behind this which is a story that's in the book faith amid the flames the story of rabbi yosef friedensen and also adapted from another book Heroes of Faith by Rabbi David Hoffman. Yes, the story goes back to another story. In a small shul in Muncie, Mr. Friedenson, this was years ago, gets up to dance for his akafa. And while he holds the Sefer Torah tightly around his hands, his mind takes him to another time in another place. This is when he prepares himself to what everybody in Muncie says is the highlight of the whole Simchus Torah. And midway between the fourth and fifth Akafa, the lively group suddenly quiets down and awaits the story that's said every year. 
Mr. Friedensen stands up at the Bima and he recounts the famous story that happened to him in the Starachowitz concentration camp many years earlier. He says, I'll never forget that year. We're in the Smithy shop preparing to work for the day, but for some reason we had not been assigned any work to do. And this was unusual. We weren't complaining. Somebody remembered that they were similar to Torah. And we all began singing the appropriate songs. Then someone started the niggin. Means there's none as powerful as Hashem. There's none as blessed as Moshe, the son of Aaron. This is a traditional niggin. That song when you dance on Simchus Torah. So, anyway, they're si- we're singing the niggin, and the niggin goes on, says Mr. Friedensen. There's no merit like the Torah. And there are no men of wisdom like those in Klal Yisrael. When suddenly the camp commandant, a somewhat civil German by the name of Bruno Pape, walks in the room, he looks at us singing and he seemed very angry. He says, what's this? Why are you singing? Do you have it so good here that you can sing? Everybody stops quickly. We're frightened. Papa was relatively civil, but he's still a German. Friedensen, Papa called to me. Tell me what you're singing. I stepped forward. Obviously chosen to be the spokesperson of the group. I explained that today was our holiday. We're praying in a song, a song for the holiday. He asked, Papa asked, you were praying or you were singing? Were you praying for the downfall of the fear? Is that what you sang about? Translate the words for me. So I did. When I came to the part that, that no men of wisdom like the scholars of Israel, he derisively exclaimed, Are you Jews so wise? Do Gleibendos? Do you believe in this? After all, if you were smarter, you wouldn't be in this concentration camp. Mr. Friedensen paused for a moment to wipe his brows. He wasn't sure what to say. He looked at all the faces of everybody. But all of a sudden, there was a young fellow. A young fellow, just a boy of 17 or 18, a Jewish boy, not even from our religious group, says Friedensen. He jumped up and said in German, Yeah! Yeah, Herr Commandant! Ich leib! I believe! I believe that we are the wisest. Papa then began asking each of us in turn if we believed in this. And he went from person to person, starting with me, says Friedensen. And after saying, we weren't afraid to say the truth because we knew he would be good to us. And each, everyone says, Ich leib! Yes, we believe! And Papa looked at us and excitedly gestures with both arms while saying, you Jews are amazing. I don't know how the Fuhrer will ever be able to defeat you. And he walked away. It was an incredible moment of pride and faith. And that's the story Mr. Friedensen would say every Simchus Torah. 
And he'd finish the story and say how right he was and how fortunate we are today to be able to learn Torah in reestablished centers of Torah and Hasidus throughout the world. We must never be afraid. We must always believe. No, what can I say? <laughs> that was the story he'd say every year. Back in Kew Garden Hills this past Simchus Torah a few weeks ago. You want to know the reason for the tears? Because the 12-year-old child singing at the Bima was the great-grandson of Rabbi Yosef Friedensen, exactly 79 years after the above story. And the tears were tears of joy. Yes, Rabbi Nishalayim, ich bleib, I believe. And Rabbi says, we come into this Shabbos and we are coming off elections from all around Eretz Yisrael and America. And unfortunately, during an election, you see how people vote and how people vote to maintain terrible, terrible laws, disgusting things. Vote for incompetent people who will just further destroy humanity and we begin to think, what is going on with this world? Just like the angels who come down in this parsha and expecting to see a Sodom that will be destroyed. And this world is irredeemable. And from an angelic perspective, before this parsha, you could think so. And yet, what do you find? There are Avram Avinus. And therefore, as we look at the world and we look post-election where it looks like it's very hard that the worst of the worst of the worst ways of governing was that totally revoked was that totally said it's terrible that means that everybody really doesn't mind it that much we have to remember we get ready for shabbos we get in this mundane world and we bring the Shekhinah down and that's our job. And instead of saying that the whole world is terrible, don't look there first. Look for the beautiful, beautiful Avrams in this world and be able to say the same thing. Hashem, I believe. There's no Chachma like the Jewish people. If you ever needed to see a proof and the Holocaust wasn't enough, just look at America. Look at Canada. Look at what the non-Jewish world would rather have people freeze to death this winter just to save the world that might be destroyed with no proof at all 2,000 years from now. Don't look at that, but feel proud and we are part of it. And we should be proud. And we should know that we will remain. The politicians come and go. But the people who hold on to Torah will remain. Hashem should give us a bracha to really feel the chizuk of this week's parsha. And the mantra should be, Ve'ein chachameha ki Yisrael. There's no greater merit than we are involved in Torah. And we come to shul. And yes, when we come to shul, there is also an amazing su'udah. 
that we invite everybody to come to. And we have people who will be involved in Torah and involved in preparing a nice sumptuous meal. And that's where we bring Hashem into our world. And we care about all those who deserve a giant spiritual hug in so many ways. Let us be Zoha, that just like Rabbi Yosef Friedensen's great-grandson could sing those same words, so too in the merit of our behavior will be Zoha the great-grandchildren who will be able to sing these beautiful songs as well. Have a wonderful Shabbos. See you later.